So before we get into Hebron and Judah and Israel, uh, how many of you have seen uh, the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? <laughs> it's great. It's great. Go see it. Go see it. Um, you hear it almost every time you open the newspaper, uh, turn on cable news. Uh, it seemed to be a lot in the news today, this week, uh, probably around the 4th of July, that we are, we're not a united country, that we're divided, we're polarized, uh, there's conflict, there's unhappiness. Um, as I think about American history, this is not the only time we've been polarized and divided. You think of before, during, and after the Civil War, uh, we really weren't united. Uh, after the Revolutionary War, it's, it, it seemed that whether or not we'd become a, a, an actual country was touch and go, great division. Then um, I sometimes wonder if, if unity in our country is more the exception than the rule. What we hear uh, that Lowell read uh, from the Second Samuel passage is also about unity and the lack of unity in Israel. Israel was, uh, the, the country uh, uh, of the Jews was only united for a short time under the reigns of David and Solomon. Before then and after then, uh, it, was, it was divided. And this, the scene that, that Lowell read to us is, is about the, the attempt to unify Israel under David. David ruled for seven years in the southern kingdom at Hebron. The, 12, the ten northern tribes were separate. They were tribal. You know, they kind of did what they wanted. And so the, the text is referring to there's a division between north and south in 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 that area. And um, it's, it's will the red and the blue come together and unite. It's touch and go. And what happens is, it's an extraordinary moment, is the leaders of the 12, the 10 northern tribes come to David and say, basically, we want to unite. We want you to be our shepherd. We want you to be our leader. I mean, this is kind of like after this, you know, during the Civil War, the Southerners leaving Richmond and going north to Washington and saying to Abraham Lincoln, we want to unite. We want you to be our leader. I mean, it's an extraordinary event in history that these, these tribes come together and say to the other, we want to be one under you. I mean, how often does that happen? Not very often. We want you to be our shepherd. Certainly they want David to protect them as a shepherd does, to defend them against the, the enemy, the Philistines, to uh, provide for them. Uh, they also want him to lead them. Be our shepherd. Lead us. As I see it, there are three components that have to be in place for leadership to happen. 
The first is there has to be a leader. The second is there have to be followers. And the third is there, there has to be a shared vision, a common goal between the leader and the followers. Now, if, if you don't have a common goal, you could have leaders and followers, but it's a dictatorship where the followers have no say in what they're doing and they, they're forced and they're coerced and they're manipulated. You have to have that common vision between a leader and followers. The common vision is often expressed in the negative, what we're against. We're united in what we're against. We're against communism. We're against gays. We're against uh, segregation. Johnson, in his War on Poverty, tried to unite us against poverty. Let's unite and be against poverty and homelessness. Now, Jesus um, doesn't unite us so much, it doesn't unite us in what we're against. Jesus unites us in what we're for, and he talks about the kingdom of God. Let's be for the kingdom of God. So leaders are very important, but so are followers. And I have this fantasy that when, when the leaders of, of, the, of the northern tribes came to David and said, won't you be our shepherd? David's response was, won't you be my sheep? Won't you be my followers? You know, and, and that's what Jesus asked for. When he asked for disciples, he said, follow me. You know, he was looking for followers that shared his vision. Because you need those three things for it to happen. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people to include people. We have that same goal. I went to um, the rally last Saturday um, for Families Belong Together at the State House. Lord, I wish it were yesterday instead of, <laughs> you know, 20 degrees difference in temperature and humidity, and it was a much nicer day yesterday. I, uh, I went because I believe families should be together. I went because um, I remember one of the memorable speeches I heard my freshman year in college um, at the height of the Vietnam War, somebody asked um, uh, the speaker to the entire freshman class, what should we do? And his response was, whatever you decide to major in, whatever profession you decide to practice, make the world better for children. I thought, what a great goal. Make the world better for children. So I went to the, to the um, demonstration uh, last Saturday, and there were placards there, and there was chanting, and there was singing, and um, there were lots of calls 
for us to take action, take action. And they didn't really define what action we were to take. And gradually, some of the speakers started to talk about, well, vote, vote, get out and vote. And uh, great, yes, let's get registered to vote. And I thought, is there more action that's expected of a follower? Is there more action that's expected of a sheep who follows the shepherd? If families belong together, should we provide financial support? Should we provide legal support? Should we in some way provide housing? In what way would we as sheep need to sacrifice and risk to help families belong together? To me, it seemed like more, of it, more than, than voting. It was an issue of character. The French essayist Montesquieu, I've never read Montesquieu, I've just read this quotation, which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> Montesquieu said that in any form of government, in every form of government, there is a governing social principle. In every form of government, there's a governing social principle. He said, in a dictatorship, the governing principle is fear. And you think, yeah, that makes sense. Dictators rule by fear. What you, happens to you if you don't follow. In a monarchy, the governing principle is honor. In a democracy, the governing principle is virtue. It's virtue that makes democracy work. What are the virtues that make democracy work? In essence, what are the virtues that make us good sheep, good followers? Well, here I'm going to uh, borrow from the son of David. Jesus. I think the virtues that Jesus talks about are generosity, hospitality, and forgiveness. Generosity is believing that there's abundance, that there's enough to go around, that there's enough materially to go around, that there's enough love to go around, that there's enough mercy to go around. Generosity is not driven by scarcity, which makes us fearful that there isn't enough to go around, so we have to hold on to it. Generosity says we can be open-handed, we can be giving. And Jesus, as a leader, talked about abundance all the time. I came that you may have life 
abundantly. And he wanted his followers to be giving and sharing. Hospitality is opening our doors to the other, is opening our life to the other, to say that there's a place at the table for the other. It's not putting myself first, it's putting the other first. It's being thoughtful. You know, Jesus says, you know, when you, when you have a dinner party, invite the stranger, invite the other. You know, hospitality is welcoming and affirming those not like us. You know, go the second mile. Give to those who ask. Give your coat as well as your shirt. That's hospitality, the virtue that Jesus says makes the kingdom of God. And the third virtue is forgiveness. Yeah, um, not holding sins against people. Not celebrating when others sin. A phrase that's increasing in usage is the phrase schadenfreude, the German phrase, to rejoice at others' suffering. Um, I have to admit there are times when a politician has something bad happen to them and I think, yes! <laughs> yeah! yeah. That's not forgiveness. That's not a forgiving attitude. It's not wishing the best. You know, what if a policy that I don't agree with, do I want it to fail? Or do I hope it will succeed for the, for the good of all? You know, forgiveness is giving the benefit of the doubt. These are the virtues I think Jesus desires in his followers. Generosity, hospitality, and forgiveness. And they make for hope. I think one of the reasons at that rally was when they kept saying, we've got to take action, we've got to take action, we've got to take... Well, taking action generates hope because you feel like you're doing something. And being generous and being hospitable and being forgiving is doing something. You know, and the interesting thing is I thought about it that hot day. We don't get unity by saying, let's be united, let's be united. We get unity by practicing generosity. That brings us together. We get unity by practicing hospitality. That brings us together. We get unity by practicing forgiveness. That brings us together. Unity is a byproduct of being virtuous. And it gives us hope when we act. Now one writer says that these virtues 
make a neighborhood and make a country into a neighborhood and could make the world into a neighborhood. When we practice these three virtues, we do create a neighborhood where we're open to each other and sharing with each other and tolerant and forgiving of each other. It makes a neighborhood. So we began with, won't you be our shepherd? And then we moved to, won't you be my sheep? And we end with the neighborhood. And the question is, Amen.